Section 22 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 4. By Rossiter Johnson, Charles F. Horn, and John Rudd. Section 22. Hegira by Simon Oakley, Part 3 Upon the conquest of Mecca, many of the tribes of the Arabs came and submitted to Mahomet, but the Hawazanites, the Thakishites, and part of the Saedites assembled to the number of four thousand effective men, besides women and children, to oppose him. He went against them at the head of twelve thousand fighting men. At the first onset, the Mussulmans, being received with a thick shower of arrows, were put to flight, but Mahomet, with great courage, rallied his men and finally obtained the victory. The next considerable action was the siege of Taif, a town sixty miles east from Mecca. The Mussulmans sat down before it, and, having made several breaches with their engines, marched resolutely up to them, but were vigorously repulsed by the besieged. Mahomet, having by a herald proclaimed liberty to all the slaves who should come over to him, twenty-three deserted, to each of whom he assigned a Mussulman for a comrade. So inconsiderable a defection did not in the least abate the courage of the besieged so that the prophet began to despair of reducing the place, and after a dream which Abu Bakr interpreted unfavorably to the attempt, determined to raise the siege. His men, however, on being ordered to prepare for a retreat, began to murmur, whereupon he commanded them to be ready for an assault the next day. The assault being made, the assailants were beaten back with great loss, to console them in their retreat, the prophet smiled and said, We will come here again, if it please God. When the army reached Jasana, where all the booty taken from the Hawazanites had been left, a deputation arrived from that tribe to beg it might be restored. The prophet, having given them their option between the captives or their goods, they chose to have their wives and children again. Their goods being divided among the Mussulmans, Mahomet, in order to indemnify those who had been obliged to give up their slaves, gave up his own share of the plunder and divided it among them. To Malik, however, son of Awuf, the general of the Hawazanites, he intimated that if he would embrace Islamism, he should have all his goods as well as his family, and a present of one hundred camels besides. By this promise, Malik was brought over to be so good a Mussulman that he had the command given him of all his countrymen who should at any time be converts, and was very serviceable against the Thakishites. The prophet, after this, made a holy visit to Mecca, where he appointed Otab, son of Osaid, governor, though not quite twenty years of age. Ma'ad, son of Jabal, imam, or chief priest, to teach the people Islamism, and direct them in solemnizing the pilgrimage. Upon his return to Medina, his concubine Mary brought him a son, whom he named Ibrahim, celebrating his birth with a great feast. 
The child, however, lived but fifteen months. In the ninth year of the Hegira, envoys from all parts of Arabia came to Mahomet at Medina to declare the readiness of their several tribes to profess his religion. The same year Mahomet, with an army of thirty thousand men, marched toward Syria to a place called Tobak against the Romans and Syrians, who were making preparations against him, but upon his approach retreated. The Mussulmans, in their march back toward Medina, took several forts of the Christian Arabs and made them tributaries. Upon his return to Medina, the Thakishites, having been blockaded in the Taif by the Mussulman tribes, sent deputies offering to embrace Islamism, upon condition of being allowed to retain a little longer an idol to which their people were bigotly attached. When Mahomet insisted upon its being immediately demolished, they desired to be at least excused from using the Mussulmans' prayers. But to this he answered very justly, that a religion without prayers was good for nothing. At last they submitted absolutely. During the same year, Mahomet sent Abu Bakr to Mecca to perform the pilgrimage and sacrifice in his behalf twenty camels. Presently afterward he sent Ali to publish the ninth chapter of the Koran, which, though so placed in the present confused copy, is generally supposed to have been the last that was revealed. It is called Barat, or Immunity. The purport of it is that the associators with whom Mahomet had made a treaty must, after four months' liberty of conscience, either embrace Islamism or pay tribute. The command runs thus. When those holy months are expired, kill the idolaters wherever you shall find them. Afterward come these words. If they repent and observe the times of prayer and give alms, they are to be looked upon as your brethren in religion. The same chapter also orders that nobody should, not having on the sacred habit, perform the holy circuits round the Kaaba, and that no idolater should make the pilgrimage to Mecca. In consequence, no person except a Mahometan may approach the Kaaba on pain of death. The following account of Mahomet's farewell pilgrimage is from Jabir, son of Abdallah, who was one of the company. The Apostle of God had not made the pilgrimage for nine years, for when he conquered Mecca he only made a visitation. In the tenth year of the Hegira he publicly proclaimed his intention to perform the pilgrimage, whereupon a prodigious multitude of people, some make the number near one hundred thousand, flocked from all parts to Medina. Our chief desire was to follow the Apostle of God and imitate him. When we came to Dul Halefa, the Apostle of God prayed in the mosque there. Then, mounting his camel, he rode hastily to the plain Beda, where he began to praise God in the form that professes his unity, saying, Here I am, O God, ready to obey thee, thou hast no partner, etc., when he came to the Kaaba, he kissed the corner of the black stone, went seven times round, three times in a trot, four times walking, then went to the station of Abraham, and coming again to the black stone, reverently kissed it. Afterward he went through the gate of the sons of Madhumi to the hill Safa, and went up it till he could see the Kaaba, 
when, turning toward the Kebla, he professed again the unity of God, saying, There is no God but one, his is the kingdom, to him be praises, he is powerful above everything, etc. After this profession, he went down toward the hill Merwan. I followed him all the way through the valley. He then ascended the hill slowly till he came to the top of Merwan. From thence he ascended Mount Arafa. It being toward the going down of the sun, he preached here till sunset. Then, going to Mosd Alefa, between Arafa and the valley of Mina, he made the evening and the late prayers, with two calls to prayer and two risings up. Then he lay down till the dawn, and having made the morning prayer, went to the enclosure of the Kaaba, where he remained standing till it grew very light. Hence he proceeded hastily, before the sun was up, to the valley of Mina, where, throwing up seven stones, he repeated at each throw, God is great, etc. Leaving now the valley, he went to the place of sacrifice. Having made free sixty-three slaves, he slew sixty-three victims with his own hand, being then sixty-three years old, and then ordered Ali to sacrifice as many more victims as would make up the number to one hundred. The next thing the apostle did was to shave his head, beginning on the right side of it and finishing it on the left. His hair, as he cut it off, he cast upon a tree, that the wind might scatter it among the people. Khaled was fortunate enough to catch a part of the forelock, which he fixed upon his turban. The virtue whereof he experienced in every battle he afterward fought. The limbs of the victims being now boiled, the apostle sat down with no other companion but Ali to eat some of the flesh and drink some of the broth. The repast being over, he mounted his camel again and rode to the Kaaba, where he made the noontime prayer, and drank seven large draughts of the well Zemzem, made seven circuits round the Kaaba, and concluded his career between the hills Safa and Merwan. The ninth day of the feast he went to perform his devotions on Mount Arafah. This hill, situated about a mile from Mecca, is held in great veneration by the Mussulmans as a place very proper for penitents. Its fitness in this respect is accounted for by a tradition that Adam and Eve, on being banished out of paradise, in order to do penance for their transgression, were parted from each other, and after a separation of six score years met again upon this mountain. At the conclusion of this farewell pilgrimage, as it was called, being the last he ever made, Mahomet reformed the calendar in two points. In the first place, he appointed the year to be exactly lunar, consisting of twelve lunar months, whereas before, in order to reduce the lunar to the solar year, they used to make every third year consist of thirteen months. And secondly, whereas the ancient Arabians held four months sacred, wherein it was unlawful to commit any act of hostility, he took away that prohibition by this command, Attack the idolaters in all the months of the year, as they attack you in all. Koran 9 in the eleventh year of the Hegira, there arrived an embassy from Arabia Felix, consisting of about one hundred who had embraced Islamism. 
the same year mahomet ordered osama to go to the place where zaid his father was slain at the battle of muta to revenge his death this was the last expedition he ever ordered for being taken ill two days after he died within thirteen days the beginning of his sickness was a slow fever which made him delirious in his frenzy he called for pen ink and paper and said he would write a book that should keep them from erring after his death but omar opposed it saying the koran is sufficient and that the prophet through the greatness of his malady knew not what he said others however expressing a desire that he would write a contention arose which so disturbed mahomet that he bade them all be gone during his illness he complained of the poisoned meat he had swallowed at Khaybar. Some say when he was dying, Gabriel told him the angel of death, who never before had been, nor would ever again be, so ceremonious toward anybody, was waiting for his permission to come in. As soon as Mahomet had answered, I give him leave, the angel of death entered, and complimented the prophet, telling him God was very desirous to have him but had commanded he should take his soul or leave it, just as he himself should please to order. Mahomet replied, Take it then. According to the testimony of all the Eastern authors, Mahomet died on Monday the 12th, Rebbe 1st, in the year 11 of the Hegira, which answers in reality to the 8th of June, A.D. 632. His grave was dug under the bed whereon he lay, in the chamber of Aisha. The Arabian writers are very particular to tell us everything about the washing and embalming his body, who dug his grave, who put him in, etc. The person of Mahomet is minutely described by Arabian writers. He was of a middle stature, had a large head, thick beard, black eyes, hooked nose, wide mouth, a thick neck, flowing hair. They also tell us that what was called the seal of his apostleship, a hairy mole between his shoulders, as large as a pigeon's egg, disappeared at his death. Its disappearance seemed to have convinced those who would not before believe it that he was really dead. His intimate companion, Abu Herrera, said he never saw a more beautiful man than the prophet. He was so reverenced by his bigoted disciples, they would gather his spittle up and swallow it. The same writers extol Mahomet as a man of fine parts and a strong memory, of few words, of a cheerful aspect, affable and complacent in his behavior. They also celebrate his justice, clemency, generosity, modesty, abstinence, and humility. As an instance of the last virtue, they tell us he mended his own clothes and shoes. However, to judge of him by his actions, as related by these same writers, we cannot help concluding that he was a very subtle and crafty man, who put on the appearance only of those good qualities, while the governing principles of his soul were ambition and lust for we see him, as soon as he found himself strong enough to act upon the offensive, plundering caravans, and under a pretense of fighting for the true religion, attacking, murdering, enslaving, and making tributaries of his neighbors, in order to aggrandize and enrich himself and his greedy followers, 
and without scruple making use of assassination to cut off those who opposed him. Of his lustful disposition we have a sufficient proof in the peculiar privileges he claimed to himself of having as many wives as he pleased, and of whom he chose even though they were within forbidden degrees of affinity. The authors who give him the smallest number of wives own that he had fifteen, whereas the Koran allows no Mussulman more than four. As for himself, Mahomet had no shame in avowing that his chief pleasures were perfumes and women. End of section 22